Bible with you. Um, we're going to have the reading up on the screen as well, but we're going to uh, read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 and 17. So from uh, chapter 16, verse 21. This, uh, this chapter in Matthew's Gospel is, is, is kind of a hinge chapter in the Gospel. Um, just before this passage, they have that amazing uh, encounter in Caesarea Philippi where, where uh, Simon, Peter, um, has that revelation of who Jesus is. You know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, that wasn't, you didn't get that by your own cleverness. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And uh, from that moment on, Jesus begins to explain that things are going to change. He's going to head toward Jerusalem, and he predicts his suffering and death. And that's where we just pick up this uh, story. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands, 
And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So tonight, just uh, going to sort of just dwell on that transfiguration uh, episode. But I wanted to read that in the context of um, what was happening around that. Shall we just pray together? Father, we thank you for your words. It is so precious to us. Because in, in your word we see you and we hear you and we are captivated by you. And we pray that this word that we have the privilege of having in our hands and in our hearts will be to us life and will be to us that spur for deeper and deeper relationship with you. So as we just spend this time and then respond in worship, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if uh, you ever have in your mind's eye a picture of Jesus. I don't know if you would have that. Um, I know some people don't really want to think of what Jesus might have looked like or... Um, but others, we do. I don't know if you ever brought up with the film Jesus of Nazareth. You know, Jesus looks like Robert Powell, you know, with the, those piercing blue eyes. And, uh, or if you're later, The Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel or whatever. I don't know what you picture. When you, when you talk about Jesus, when you think about him, what do you picture? Um, I guess uh, if you read the Gospels, um, you, you, you know he's a man. <laughs> So you picture him doing the things that he did with his disciples. If I were to ask you, how would you picture Jesus before his incarnation? That, then that gets a little bit more tricky, doesn't it? You know, what did Jesus look like before he became a human being? Before he humbled himself you know, to be one of us? Because he was there from the very beginning. We don't know what he looked like. But we can picture a baby in Bethlehem. I had the privilege of visiting this week our youngest uh, member of the church here, two-week-old Jasmine, and she is just gorgeous. And we, pick, you know, we know what babies look like. And we can picture Jesus as that baby. And uh, then Luke gives us a glimpse of that 12-year-old Jesus um, when he is uh, there at the temple and his parents, Mary and Joseph, have gone back home with everyone else and they suddenly remember, oh, Jesus, he's not with us. And they go back. And then that public ministry that Jesus has for three years, walking around Galilee and uh, in Jerusalem. And then the passion, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. I don't know if that's how you picture Jesus, the resurrection Jesus when he appears to his disciples. And he, he was recognisable, but not recognisable. You know, sometimes we thought, what did he look like? Because there are times when they didn't recognise him. But then he does something and he reveals himself. The two on the Emmaus Road, he breaks bread and suddenly their eyes are open, they see who it is. Or the disciples on the Lake of Galilee when, you know, they see someone on the shore and he cries out to them and it's John who says, it's the Lord. I don't know how you would picture Jesus. Peter and James and John caught another glimpse of Jesus on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And there they see and, and have a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. And maybe it's a foretaste of, of, of what we will see when we meet Jesus. We, we don't know. Right? But it's interesting that Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about it. Imagine having to sit on that. You know, we've seen Jesus in that amazing way. And don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Not till I'm risen from the dead. And they obviously blurted it out after that because it was written down by, you know, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. Interestingly, that John, who was there on the mountain, doesn't include it in his gospel. But the other three gospel writers do. He'd also just briefly before told the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah yet. When Peter has that revelation, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, well, don't, don't tell anyone yet. And again, we think, ooh. Jesus' retreat to Caesarea Philippi, and if you know the geography of the Holy Land, Caesarea Philippi is the furthest north that Jesus went to. It's, it's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's quite high up there. But it was that significant turning point, and um, that it was a it was a non-Jewish place, Gentile place. It was a place of pagan worship, and it was that place that Jesus chose to reveal Himself to those disciples to ask them that amazing question that I've asked just this week in the, in the last two weeks on our Alpha course: Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think other people think He is? And that was the question Jesus asked to his disciples and they had that revelation. And now he sets his face toward uh, Jerusalem. Now we're not quite completely sure of the geography of the Mount of Transfiguration. There's probably two possible sites. There's uh, the site of Mount Tabor, which is near Nazareth. And you can go up onto Mount Tabor and it's got beautiful views. You can see um, Nazareth in the distance. And it's about 2,000 feet high. And, but then there's Mount Hermon, which is near Caesarea Philippi. So in terms of the story in Matthew's Gospel, it would fit in well that Jesus went onto that mountain. It's about 8,000 feet high. But the, I guess the where is not as important as the what happened and the why it happened. We know that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. It's true. And we have that promise in the scripture that we who believe in Jesus will see him as he is. I mean, we, we know Jesus, but we have not yet seen him. And we have that promise in scripture that one day we will see him as he is. But not only that, because, because everyone's going to see him. Everyone is going to see him. Every eye will see, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we will see him and we will be like him. That's the promise. We will be like him. We will see him as he is. But the glimpse that Peter, James and John saw was a very different to the Jesus they had been walking with and talking with and laughing with and eating with every day for 
however long they'd been going then. And uh, they had seen Jesus as that, as a man. The Bible says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of human likeness. Isaiah prophesied of him that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Son of God, God the Son, became so completely human that people would have just passed by him, ignored him. Others we know would later mock him. Some were hugely offended by him. And many turned against him, particularly the religious leaders who petitioned for his death to the Roman authorities. And he was given over to be tortured and executed. But here, in this passage, we have this encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it, where there is a glimpse of the glory of Jesus revealed. And if you look at the description um, that Matthew writes, because it, nowhere else in the Gospels, you don't have the Gospel writer saying, and Jesus looked like this. Wouldn't it have been lovely if Matthew said, and, and Jesus looked like this. They don't describe what he looked like, except at this moment, they describe what he looked like. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Mark says that his clothes became dazzling white. Luke says the appearance of his face changed and his clothes were like lightning. His face shone like the sun. Have you ever looked, dared to even look at the sun? Well, you're not supposed to, are you? It's dangerous. Does it remind you of any descriptions? Daniel's vision in chapter 7 and 10 of his amazing prophecy, this um, amazing man of God, Daniel, who had the vision of the Ancient of Days, and, and, and he describes seeing that his clothing was as white as snow, that his face was like lightning, and that his eyes were like flaming torches. Does it remind you of anything? John, when he writes his revelation, when he writes down that amazing uh, revelation that he receives from Jesus, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, he describes Jesus, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And his eyes were like blazing fire. And this is Jesus. And as Peter, James, and John watched, they appeared before them, Moses and Elijah. And they were speaking with Jesus. One, the, the lawgiver, the great deliverer of the people of God under God's mighty hand out of slavery in Egypt. The other, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. Meeting with Jesus, talking with Jesus, in a way pointing to Jesus, the culmination of all that the law and the prophets had stood for. Jesus fulfilled it all. And then they hear a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The father speaks. The father's voice is heard. 
And they've heard that voice before when Jesus was baptised. This is my son whom I love. And this revelation of Jesus is so important for us as well as those early disciples. Because we need to see Jesus and sometimes we need a fresh vision of Jesus. Particularly as we come to worship. Karl Barth said it's the most momentous, most urgent thing that can happen in a human life when we worship God. It's what we're made for. We're made in the image of God. We're made for a relationship with God. We're we're made to worship. There is something that happens when we worship God. Not when we sing songs. There's a difference. The songs are there to enable us to worship. And worship is all of us. It's not just those times of sung um, worship and praise. We recognise it's all of us responding to all that God is. But there is something Amazing when we begin just to worship God for who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I would imagine that if you had been Peter, James, or John, that picture or vision of Jesus would have sustained you through all things. All things. They each had a very different experience, didn't they, in their lives and died in very different ways, but gave their lives for Jesus. It's your vision of Jesus, it's your relationship with Jesus, I guess, that will hold you through life. And all its ups and downs and the turbulences of life. If you have that vision of Jesus and know who he is, it will hold you through everything. Because you know that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, God the Son. And the disciples were beginning to understand who Jesus really was. And they carried with them the the words of Jesus. And they knew that the gates of hell could not stand against the truth of the gospel. That the people of God, the gates of hell would not prevail against the people of God. Nothing that the enemies of God could do will prevail against the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus talked to Peter about them having the keys. We have the keys. We, we, each one of us, can almost open the door for somebody to come into the kingdom just by sharing the good news about Jesus. It's, It's always a mystery to me, but... You know, on Alpha this week, we're sharing this morning with the church that two, two people just prayed the prayer at the end of week two that we, we always pray. Two people came up to me after I prayed that prayer, invited Jesus into my life. It's, there is something significant has happened. They probably wouldn't know if they, they wouldn't say, I'm a disciple of Jesus now. That is the beginning. But something significant has happened. And something has provoked that, hasn't it? You don't just turn up and, oh, that seems like a good... God has been at work in amazing ways. The disciples know that Jesus is the undisputed king 
of the whole universe. And when they hear the word of the Father, listen to him. Because as we'd read earlier, up to that point, Peter had struggled to, to listen completely to him. You know, even rebuking Jesus. When Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I will be handed over to the teachers of the law and will be, you know, be killed. And Peter says, hang on, that's not going to happen to you. And is rebuked himself by Jesus in probably the most extreme terms of, you know, get behind me, Satan. And Peter would fail again, as we all fail. Sin and failure are found in all the saints, all the people of God. But we know that in Christ, we have forgiveness, restoration. You know, Peter's experience you know, after all the denials and is that moment on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus just asked him, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Peter hadn't grasped at that moment when he rebukes Jesus that the Messiah had to suffer rejection, death, the most cruel death. Peter's vision was too small, too nationalistic, too materialistic, too earthbound. And sometimes ours can be too. It's normally because I don't understand it all. Peter at that point didn't understand it all. And no wonder Jesus warned his disciples, don't tell anyone that he was the Messiah because they were sure to get the wrong idea because of what they had in their minds of who Messiah was. But one day soon, they would tell everyone. All that they'd seen, all that they'd heard, and some of them wrote it down. And we have the words of the Gospels here. And one day soon, they would understand that Jesus, Messiah, Christ, Son of the living God, Son of God, God the Son, was the one who has come to deal with all the evil in the world, who would overcome the deadly disease of human sin and the cosmic disorder, and that the resurrection of Jesus marks a new creation, the beginning of a new creation. That will be completed when Jesus comes again. But it has already begun. You're part of the new creation. You are a new creation. And we're saints in the kingdom of God. And they begin to understand that Jesus did that by taking upon himself all the assaults of the evil one, allowing them to crush him, but then overcoming them by his glorious resurrection because death and sin can't keep their hands on Jesus. So we recognise, as the gospel recognises, there's a new world, a new heaven, a new earth has begun. But Peter, James, and John have a foretaste of that glorious future. And Peter would understand that suffering and sacrifice would be the way. He would pick up his cross and follow Jesus. He would, and eventually he would be crucified as he dies in Rome. 
But what comes across for me in, in the Gospels and the letters is how the early disciples, on that journey of discovery, because you know they'd encountered Jesus, he'd called them to follow him, and they begin to understand who he is. When did you begin to understand who Jesus really was? When did you begin to truly love him? Because you understood that he loved you first. When did that penny drop for you? We love Jesus because he loves us. We love him because he's rescued us. We love the gospel because it speaks of him. And we love to worship because of him the Lord of glory, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so through this passage, I wanted us just to catch just a glimpse of Jesus and then to come and worship, and Sam's going to come and lead us as we gaze deeply into the face that shines as brightly as the sun and spend some time engaging in that most urgent, most glorious thing that we can ever do in our lives to worship Jesus. So come with an open heart. Come with open hands. Come ready not only just to sing but to encounter the risen Lord Jesus tonight because he is here with us by his Holy Spirit. So I invite you to stand. At any time if you want to be seated, Please feel free if you want to move out and find